Jesus, to you we lift our eyes. Jesus, our glory and our prize. We adore you, behold you, our Savior ever true. Oh, Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. death is gone for we carry his life in our veins Jesus to you we lift our eyes Jesus our glory and our prize we adore you behold you Bibles or Bible apps to the book of 1st Thessalonians. 1st Thessalonians as we continue our 2020 series here. First Thessalonians is one of the uh, earliest, is actually the earliest book that we have from Paul, the first letter that we have from Paul. Uh, and it's to the church that he started in Thessalonica. Thessalonica. Uh, I don't know if you have ever had your plans changed by God. Anybody ever had your plans changed by God? Yeah, I mean, we all have, right? Well, uh, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians are a result of God doing just that in Paul's life. Um, He was headed actually in the opposite direction when he had a dream, and in that dream, God said, go to Thessalonica. And so this is another story of a birth uh, how, how a brand new church was born. Uh, Paul and Silas, they spent less than a month in Thessalonica. They're teaching the truth that Jesus is king. And many believed. But the higher-ups didn't take well to that, that message. They believed that Caesar was king. And so they formed a mob, and they talked it into being an angry one, and they turned them against the new Christians in that town. Now, out of necessity for their lives, Paul and Silas ran from the city. And this new church, this fledgling church, was just left on its own. Now, we have seen in other, in other books, Paul loved the church. He loved the church in, Thessal- in Thessalonica, excuse me. Uh, and he so desired for them to continue in the faith. But he knew it would be hard, especially in the midst of persecution. I mean, think about this. They didn't have what we have. They didn't have the New Testament to look at. They couldn't read to the end of the story and see how it all ends. Uh, when we need answers, we go to the Word. And, and this was just not a, a luxury that they, they had. And yet, they were supposed to continue in their faith. Well, uh, through Timothy, Paul discovered that they were. They had continued in their faith. They were genuinely living gratefully, prayerfully, expectantly, in light of the promised return of Jesus. But... They had questions, so Paul wrote this letter of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, to first commend them 
and to encourage them and then to answer some questions that we actually probably still ask today. Uh, we will get to those questions in chapters 4 and 5, uh, but as we begin, we'll start with number one on your outline. Paul looks at their conversion, their conversion. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 10. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know, what kind of men we were among you for your sake. So, uh, before we go any further, notice uh, how these new believers are described there in verse 3. He said, we remember your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope. Faith, hope, and love. Uh, it's always kind of been a, a, a theme in Paul's writings. It was a work of faith that brought salvation, a labor of love that worked in them and through them to be different from the world around them, and patience of hope gave them strength to endure persecution that came. Uh, this is the gospel at work. This is the, the difference the gospel makes in us. And so you can write down the sequence of the gospel. It's been said like this, the gospel comes to us, it works in us, and then it goes from us. It comes to us, it works in us, and then it goes from us. Uh, this is the sequence, and it really is incomplete if any part of that sequence doesn't happen. If the gospel comes to us without working in us, it will never go from us to the ones who need it. If it comes to us and works in us but never goes from us, uh, then we have missed a major part of what it means to be a believer, a Christian and I would question if it actually ever worked in us to begin with. Uh, the story is told of a, of a man named John Currier, who in 1949 was found guilty of murder and sentenced to life in prison. Later, he was transferred and paroled to a work, a work farm near Nashville, Tennessee. So that was in 1949, and then he was paroled. In 1968, Courier's sentence was terminated, and a letter bearing the good news was sent to him, but John never saw the letter, nor was he ever told anything about it. Ten years went by. Then a state parole officer learned about Courier's plight, found him, told him that his sentence had been terminated. He was a free man. Now, we could all agree, for John Courier, this was an urgent message. But it did him absolutely no good until it was delivered to him. As believers, we have the most urgent message of all, that Jesus saves. But it does not one lost soul any good until it's delivered, until we deliver it. Um, verse 5, let's continue there in chapter 1. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. Uh, church, we have the same power. We, we have this same word. We have this same Holy Spirit, the same assurance that the Thessalonians had. And I think sometimes even myself, we all just need to rem reminded of that. The same power that rolled the stone away, the same power is alive in us today. We can just stay out of the way and live in the power of the Holy Spirit wouldn't we be much better off? Will we still have trials? Will we still have temptations? Of course we will. 
The Thessalonians certainly did. But it was the power and assurance and the Holy Spirit living through them that made them handle the persecution and trials and temptations differently. An urgent message must be delivered. That leads to number two, their mission. Their mission, the Thessalonians' mission. Let's continue, verse 6. You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you, came ex- you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And so we see the sequence in their lives. The gospel came to them through Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Even though it was only for just a, a few weeks, even so the power of the Holy Spirit worked in them, changing them. Even though that change came at a cost. And then the good news went from them in every place. This young church was living on mission. Now, did you know that First Baptist is not a young church? Uh, We were started in 1832. 1832. And it's really easy for a church like us uh, to become internally focused. It really, it really is. The Thessalonians are an example to us. We are called to live on mission. This is not a country club. Do people that you know, that you come in contact with, even know that, that you claim Jesus on your life? Are you, are you having the conversations? Are you, are you back in those conversations with actions? And, and man, I preach to myself every week has the sequence been broken in our lives the gospel has come to us many have responded does it go from us would anybody agree that our world could use some changing for the better it's been said like this and you can write this down if you want to change the world then preach the gospel you want to change the world then preach the gospel You know, it never gets old seeing a sinner come to know the saving grace of Jesus. It never gets old watching another baptism. God works through the same Holy Spirit that's living in you and in me to send this life-saving message to the world. That message comes to us, it works in us, and we cannot help but share it others chapter 2 Paul tells about how he lived this message how he lived out the, the mission for the Thessalonians despite persecution despite hard labor and difficulties and as always uh, Paul's not bragging how good he is but he uses himself as an example to encourage his readers that this life of faith can be lived by them church this life of faith can be lived by you studying Paul's letters I, I've noticed a pattern why does Paul always come back to his trials and hardships? I mean, we've seen these lists before. This isn't the first time. It won't be the last. Why would God inspire Paul to write and then rewrite about how difficult things were for him and the obstacles that his faith faced? I think it's because he knew that we could relate. 
He knew we could relate. This life of faith has a whole lot of distractions. A whole lot of distractions. Uh, Especially those of us with uh, spiritual ADHD. Uh, There are plenty of other things that I can pursue other than Christ. There are plenty of other things that are easier to pursue other than Christ. At least they seem like it to begin with. There's plenty of discouragement to get my mind off of Jesus and to make my faith in Him waver. There's plenty of stuff. And that's one reason why God inspired Paul to write about the many distractions and discouragements because he overcame them with the power of Christ in him, the same power that we have. He knew the end goal was infinitely more glorious, infinitely better than anything this world could offer. This is the message that he was trying to encourage the Thessalonians with. And maybe it's a message that that we just need to hear this morning. Whatever hardships you're going through, keep the faith. The mission is worth it. Uh, Paul speaks of how much he longed to be with the Thessalonians. He hated to leave them like he did. Remember, he was running for his life. He writes about how he, he loved them like a mother and a father loves a child. And he wanted them to get the faith. And so that's why he was so encouraged when Timothy brought the news that they, they did. They, they got faith. Chapter 3 ends with a prayer for endurance. Look at verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all. So note, we need love right there. Uh, just as we do to you, verse, verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. And note right there, we need holiness as well. Before our God and at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So we need to recognize we need love. God is love. The Holy Spirit living in us produces love, but let's not overlook the fact that we also need holiness. Holiness, being set apart, being different, pure, clean, sacred. That's the meaning of holiness. In your love, be set apart, be pure, be sacred, be clean. See, the the tendency is for us to love without holiness. To love without holiness. And that leads to winking at sin and eventually endorsing sin as a lifestyle. But holiness changes everything. It limits what goes. It's certainly not everything. We are absolutely still to love, but there's a big difference between showing the love of Christ to lost people and endorsing or adopting or enabling sinful behavior. Please, number three. Our calling. It is holiness. Our calling is holiness. Uh, Chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Uh, Sanctification is that process, the lifelong process of becoming holy. And so here's what part of that looks like. You should abstain from sexual immorality. So just to be clear, uh, the word sexual immorality referred to anything sexual outside of a marriage. That's, that's anything. So the word of God is to abstain from that. Um, any, any teenagers among us, I just want to encourage you. Man, you, you, just, you just wait until you're married. It will be worth it. Of course, this this applies to adults as well. Uh, This is in both behavior and thoughts. Sin starts as a thought. And what we put in our minds 
eventually leads to actions? Are we putting images in our minds that lead to unholiness? The images are unholy themselves, but it's going to lead to actions. It's going to affect our, our, our spiritual lives. And so it says to abstain from anything sexual outside of a one-man, one-woman marriage. Verse 4, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother or sister in this matter, uh, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. So another fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And the area of sexual purity is one place that that is needed. We may think that nobody knows what goes on in private. We may think that we can get away with something, but God sees it all. According to this passage right here, God will avenge this type of behavior. And His vengeance is not meant to condemn the believer. It's meant to restore. And so if you find yourself guilty of, of this or any other sin, confess it and repent and make the necessary changes to not go there again. Verse 7, For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. In holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. And so we see the gospel's effect on us. It calls us to holiness. It gives us the Holy Spirit. It gives us assurance and power. Verses 9 and 10 tells us that it helps us love each other within those parameters of holiness. Verse 11, But we urge you that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. So the instructions there, lead a quiet life. We've heard the old adage, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Uh, There are times where we are called to be the squeaky wheel, but there's also times that we're not. Some of us probably need to to learn the difference. Right there, mind your own business. Work hard. People outside will notice that you're lacking nothing. That leads to number four, our future. Our future. So I mentioned earlier that the Thessalonians had some questions that we still ask today. And I want to share with you a big word that you may, not, may or may not be familiar with. The, the word is eschatology. Eschatology. Uh, eschat meaning last and ology meaning the study of. So the study of end times. Eschatology. Uh, the books of Thessalonians are known as the eschatological letters because end times is a main focus. Now we have experienced it before. People we know... They've passed away. We, we love them, and now they're gone. Now, so for the original readers, it must have been, uh, it may have been, excuse me, for their faith in Christ. But either way, they had questions about what happened to these people who are no longer with us. What's the fate of those who are in Christ but have passed away? Well, the answer to that is that not even death can separate us from Jesus. First Thessalonians 4.13 I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, 
and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord therefore comfort one another with these words so not even death can separate us from Jesus this is what the gospel brings to our lives without the good news of Jesus we would be separated from God for all eternity but now we're not and so we see there is a future hope there is comfort that only God can bring that's found only in the gospel of Jesus so remember the sequence the gospel comes to us we hear it, we respond, it works in us, and then it goes from us. And one way it does that is to motivate faithfulness. Faithfulness. Uh, because we have a future hope, because we have comfort in persecution, under trials, even in the face of death, that should motivate us to be faithful to the call. And so this brings up another question. It's, it's really a million dollar question. When will Jesus return? When will Jesus return? So let's pick it up in 1 Thessalonians 5. It says this, But concerning the times and the season, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, or His return, so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should not overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. Well, so if you were looking for the answer of when Jesus is returning, uh, the best one I can give you is that we are one day closer today than we were yesterday. Uh, His return is imminent, but beyond that, no one knows. And while we do have a glorious future to look forward to, the more immediate future is for us to remain faithful. That leads to number five, our responsibility. Our responsibility. So to remain faithful, to to keep the faith, to continue to grow, to continue to love, to continue clinging to the future hope and to rest in the comfort and trust. The last blank there. Our responsibility is to trust. Notice how the book of 1 Thessalonians ends. Chapter uh, 5, verse 14. Now we exhort you, we encourage you, brethren. Warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. Be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And it's just it's a, a rich 
passage? How, how does the Holy Spirit speak to your heart when you hear those words? Who comes to mind when you hear that list again? It said to warn the unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, don't render evil for evil, pursue what is good, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in everything, don't quench the spirit, don't despise prophecies, test all things. Cling to what is good. Abstain from evil. Verse 23. And may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Do you trust him, church? Do you trust him? Holiness, faithfulness, and trust. Which one of those three need the most work in your life? As we go into a time of invitation, you just bow your heads and close your eyes and answer the two questions that we always like to look at. What has God said to you? What are you going to do about it?